the hottest podcast right now in spirituality is not what you would think. It's this 12-part series called The Rise and Fall of Mars Hill. Now, Mars Hill was a church outside of, uh, in and around Seattle, Washington, that in its heyday about the mid-20-teens just was thousands and thousands of people. And its pastor, Mark Driscoll, was famous for saying kind of just the most amazing things from the pulpit. Uh, and sometimes he would get in trouble. And one of the things that the podcast has, has let all of us see is that what was presented on stage didn't necessarily, wasn't the same thing as what was going on behind the scenes in the sense that many leaders have come forward and said it was just toxic, it was tyrannical, it was abusive leadership. And so apparently what was up front was not what was going on behind the closed doors. And all of us in the church would say, yeah, I've seen that before, right? It's a thing. It's a thing that happens. Uh, just another hypocrite, we would say. My wife's church that she grew up in, uh, the second pastor of that church was a southern gentleman. He had this sweet sing-songy way that he talked to people. We're just so glad to have you today. We just love you guys, Max and Jenny. We're just so precious. He would talk like that. And one Sunday we were there, and there was a big presentation about a new fund that they were getting ready to launch and raise money for, and the sound tech people had messed up the slides. And there was this syrupy pastor in the hallway with the entire sound tech crew, belittling them, berating them, calling them names, yelling at them. And Jenny and I were horrified. We were like, what? Is this the same guy that did our marriage? What? Okay. And it's not just the church. If you watch The Crown, the series uh, The Crown on Netflix, there's the Charles and Diana that got out of the car, and then there's the Charles and Diana once they got inside the car and drove away. And it wasn't the same thing. There was a disconnect uh, between what was going on. Last week, Brian reminded you guys that in a lot of churches, in a lot of churches, new people are only welcome if they fit in with the people in the pews. In other words, they got to dress a certain way, have a certain kind of language, talk a certain way, do certain things in order to be acceptable into the church family. But God's not like that, is it? Is he? Uh, God accepts us as we are. God loves us as we are. And he loves us enough to change us from the inside out. Thank God, right? But, but God accepts us as we are. How many of you, just out of curiosity, how many of you grew up in church? Show of hands, how many of you grew up in church? Okay. Good job. You can put your hands down. So the majority here grew up in church. Now, do not raise your hand for this second question, but how many of you on the way to church, <laughs> how many of you on the way to church, mom and dad were having the knockdown, drag out fight, but then as soon as they pulled into the parking lot and the door opened, ding, the smile, <laughs> the smile came on their face. And as a kid, you were like, wait a minute, is this magic? This parking lot? What is going on? Like you didn't understand what was happening. Um, today, I want to walk you through another one of our values, and it's on the sidewall on the far left, this value that we call don't fake it. Don't fake it. You do not have to have it together to come here. You do not have to have it uh, together to belong here. You do not have to have it together to be loved here. Um, you do not have to pretend to be something that you are not. And uh, you do not have to live up to our expectations or anyone else's. In a sense, what we're trying to do is we're trying to discourage you from hypocrisy. We would rather you just be you. 
and be upfront and we'll all be better for it. And so I want to unpack that a little bit. One of the things I admire about Jesus is his ability to people's expectations. I don't know if you, you know, when you read the gospels, you get a front row seat to how everybody had expectations about what Jesus should do, how Jesus should teach, what he should say, what he should and shouldn't do on the Sabbath. Uh, His parents had expectations, trust me, all parents do. The little town that he grew up in had expectations of him. Remember that part where they say, who is this guy think he is? Isn't he Mary and Joseph's son? In other words, you shouldn't be doing that. We know who you are, right? Expectations. Um, At one point he says to Peter, get behind me, Satan, right? Because Peter says, oh, you're not gonna do this thing and Jesus is totally doing that thing. And, and Jesus rebukes him. The crowds had expectations of Jesus, and then he throws this saying at them, we played wedding songs and you didn't dance. We played funeral songs and you didn't mourn. It's a thing kids would do. Kids, Jewish children would pretend that they were doing weddings and, and funerals. And what he was saying by saying that is, I'm not, I'm not living up to your expectations, am I? Too bad. <laughs> I mean, that's what he was saying. And then the religious leaders had expectations of Jesus. Um, they watched to see if he would heal on the Sabbath. And when he did, oh, you're doing it wrong. You're doing it wrong. We know that God would not heal on the Sabbath. It's a rule. It's totally a rule. You're breaking the rule, Jesus. And, and yet he defied every single one of those things. In Matthew chapter, 20, in Matthew chapter 23, uh, Jesus goes on a bit of a tirade on the Pharisees. Now, the Pharisees were one of four major groups around in Jesus' time. And uh, theologians have analyzed the teachings of Jesus, and they've come to this conclusion. Of all the four major religious Jewish sects of the first century, Jesus' teachings most align with that of the Pharisees. Isn't that weird? Isn't that weird? And this is what he says of them. Uh, Matthew chapter 23. I'm just going to read this and, and hear Jesus speaking. Jesus said to the crowds and to his disciples, The teachers of the religious law and the Pharisees are the official interpreters of the law of Moses. So so practice and obey whatever they tell you, but don't follow their example. They don't practice what they preach. They crush people with unbearable religious demands and never lift a finger to ease the burden. Everything they do is for show. On their arms, they wear extra wide prayer boxes with scripture verses inside, and they wear robes with extra long tassels, and they love to sit at the head table at the banquets and in the seats of honor in the synagogues. They love respectful greetings as they walk in the marketplaces and to be called rabbi. Everything they do is for show. Now, Pharisees, um, it, it wasn't like a formal thing, but you would be considered a Pharisee if you took the pledge. You would take this pledge in front of three witnesses. I will faithfully obey all the laws of of Moses. And you were in, you were part of the the brotherhood, the elect few that actually obeyed God, not like the rest of the scum trying to eke out a living, right? And and so Pharisees enjoyed that kind of brotherhood, but, but Jesus isn't calling out their teaching, he's calling out their living. And he's saying, They're hypocrites. Don't do, don't be like them because everything they do is for show. 2,000 years later, do you know anyone in your life who wants to be called a Pharisee? 
right? It's a bad moniker now. Like in the first century, it was a badge of honor in a sense because I'm faithfully. But today, it's almost synonymous with being self-righteous and, and being somewhat of a hypocrite. So Jesus, of course, bucks against all of that. And his earliest followers took his example and embedded this into the early church. So in Acts chapter 5, there's this weird thing that happens. I've never, I grew up in church, I never heard a sermon on this one. And this is my second time in this passage. So you're so lucky, generations. Okay, um, but it's Acts chapter 5, Acts chapter 5, and I'm just going to read through what happened, and then we're going to go by it chunk by chunk. There was a certain man named Ananias, who with his wife Sapphira, sold some property. He brought the part of the money to the apostles, claiming it was the full amount. With his wife's consent, he kept the rest. Then Peter said, Ananias, why have you let Satan fill your heart? You, you lied to the Holy Spirit, and you kept some of the money for yourself. The property was yours to sell or not sell, as you wished. And after selling it, the money was also yours to give away. How could you do such a thing like this? You weren't lying to us, but to God. As soon as Ananias heard these words, he fell to the floor and died. Everyone who heard about it was terrified. Then some young men got up, wrapped him in a sheet, and took him out and buried him. About three hours later, three hours later, his wife came in, not knowing what had happened. Peter asked her, was this the price that you and your husband received for the land? Yes. Yes, it was the price, she said. And Peter said, how could the two of you even think of conspiring to test the spirit of the Lord? The young men who buried your husband are just outside the door, and they're going to carry you away too, instantly. She fell to the floor and died. When the young men came in and saw that she was dead, they carried her out and buried her beside the hu her husband. Great fear gripped the entire church and everyone who heard what had happened. So I want to unpack this. Part of what's going on is explained to us in the preceding chapter. Verse 36 of chapter 4. There was a man named Joseph, the one who the apostles nicknamed Barnabas, he was from the tribe of Levi and came from the island of Cyprus. He sold a field he owned and brought the money to the apostles. And everybody was like, man, Barnabas, that is so generous. Thank you. Thank you. Wealthy members of the early church were liquidating assets, liquidating land and property that they didn't need, taking that money and giving it to the church so that the church could distribute to people who were struggling and who needed the help. Um, this happens today. It would be something, This I see this happen in, in church circles all the time. Uh, typical 65-year-old, I'm just pulling out an age, 65-year-old businessman, businesswoman. They had an investment that really matured. They've got $250,000. They don't need it. They're looking for some place, that money to go, to do some good. Um, and they want to be generous. So these wealthy people were generous, and they were giving 100% of the proceeds of the sale of their property, but not Ananias and Sapphira, right? They tried to trick the church into thinking that they are giving all of it when that's not what's going on at all. So that's verses 3 and 4. Peter said, Ananias, why have you let Satan fill your heart? This stuff happens, gangs. This stuff happens. Uh, Charles Spurgeon once delivered a sermon, and the Lord prompted him to call out 
There is someone here tonight who is robbing his employer and the Lord sees and the Lord knows. And after the service, this guy from the back comes forward. Please, sir, please do not tell my employer. Like, I will give it back to tomorrow. I will make right. Like, please. And, you know, uh, when I was a young pastor, uh, Pastor Steve, my boss, was out of town, out of the country for three weeks. So this couple comes to me, middle-aged couple, because they're having communication problems in their marriage, right? The only reason they're sitting in front of me is because Pastor Steve is gone, <laughs> and I'm it. I'm their only option, okay? I just had this sense that she was cheating on him. And so I say out loud, I, this is not characteristic of me, I say, you need to be honest with your husband that you're you're getting it on with a grad student. She was a UK professor. Didn't, oh, no, absolutely, like, got mad at me. Then they left, and I was thinking, oh, man, I'm going to get in so much trouble with Pastor Steve when he gets back. Like, I'm going to be unemployed, like, you know, because the key people in the church. A week later, he caught her in the act, went after her with a gun, police got involved, the whole nine yards, right? Like, so this stuff happens, and it happens because it's an opportunity for repentance. It's an opportunity to acknowledge what's really true. But Ananias and Sapphira missed that opportunity. Um, and so judgment falls. That's verses 5 and 6. As soon as Ananias heard these words, he fell to the floor and died. And everyone who heard about it was terrified. So then verse 7 and following. Three hours later, his wife came in, not knowing what had happened. And she also lies, and she also dies. So usually in the Bible, when there's a confrontation and a call for truth, there's usually a long time before the judgment of God comes, right? Like, if I could use the way we talked back a long time ago in the 80s, like forever, it just took a long time. The prophet of the Lord would show up, God is going to nuke your face off and smash down all these stones and the Babylonians are going to come in and like a decade later, yeah, remember when you said didn't happen? <laughs> like it just seemed like it took forever for the judgment to come when it was announced by a prophet or a truth teller. But here it's swift, it's swift. And part of that is because we see in Paul's writings how the, the, the church is actually the new temple of God. The church itself is the temple of the Holy Spirit. And Paul himself takes that even further, and he says, all of us as individuals, our own bodies, are temples of the Holy Spirit. And so therefore, it should be holy. And the other part, the other thing that's going on is this is a clear marker for the early church. There shouldn't be lying and faking and posing and keeping up appearances stuff. Don't be doing that. Don't be doing that. Apparently, God has a problem with people pretending to be something they're not, particularly when it's for show or for props or pats on the back. There's this genie in the moment, uh, genie in the bottle moment for Solomon. If you go all the way back to the Old Testament, Solomon is about to become king, and the Lord appears to him in a dream and says this. I got the verse up here. It's from 1 Kings, um, 1 Kings chapter 3. That night, the Lord appeared to Solomon in a dream, and God said, what do you want? Ask, and I'll give it to you. Can you imagine God coming to you and saying, what do you want? Ask, and I'll give it to you. What would you ask for? Solomon asks for 
wisdom, wisdom to govern. A few chapters later, we're told that Solomon does something really strange. He shells out big treasury money for the foundation stones of the temple. We can see some of them today because all of Jerusalem was destroyed by the Romans. But uh, that's 1 Kings chapter 5. And if I put this verse at the king's command, they quarried large box blocks of, get this, high quality stone and shape them to make the foundation of the temple. Something people aren't gonna see. It's not the outward ornament kind of stuff, but Solomon goes all in for this stuff that's foundational that no one's gonna see really. And in a sense, no one's gonna know but the builders, Solomon and God. Speaks to character. Of course, later on, there's all kinds of character issues with Solomon. We're told through the prophet Samuel that people look at outward appearances, but God looks where? At the heart, on the inside. And so it's why Jesus, when he's doing the Sermon on the Mount, and he says, y'all think you're doing so great because you haven't killed anybody, but on the inside, there's anger and hatred and contempt, and you're killing people. It's the same. And people are like, what? Okay. So let me ask a couple of questions in light of Acts chapter 5, in light of what Jesus has to say to the Pharisees, in light of this long-standing thing in Scripture where God is saying, I want your heart to be right, and I want there to be authenticity and connection between what's on the inside and how you're living. The first question is, where do you feel a need to mask up? And I'm not talking about COVID stuff, okay? <laughs> Where do you feel a need to pose or pretend that everything's okay or that everything's a certain way so that you can be accepted? For some of us, that's our families, and that's rough. Uh, but where do you feel a need to pose? And then secondly, is there anyone in your life right now with whom you're honest and transparent? In other words, they're getting the real deal of what's really going on. And does that person have editability rights? And here's what I mean by that. They have the ability to say to you, you're crazy. That's dumb. Stop. Like they have the ability to tell you you're being an idiot and you'll take it. Is there anyone in your life right now with whom you're honest and transparent? So if I can map out some things for us as a church for how to live out this value of don't fake it. First of all, stop masking up all the time. Stop masking up all the time. Again, I'm not talking about COVID stuff. Um, stop pretending all the time that everything's okay, that you have it all together, that you have all your ducks in a row, that you don't need any help. I don't know if you know this, but you're human, you're frail, you're weak, you're a sinner, and you need other people. I am human, I am frail, I am a sinner, I need help, I need other people. We're all in this together. Here at church, every single person who came through those doors needs God and needs help, okay? Every single person, including the people on payroll. <laughs> so stop masking up dot, dot, dot all the time. Secondly, acknowledge your weaknesses to those who are under you. Now, parents, this typically comes when your kids become a teenager. When your kids are a teenager, they're all of a sudden going, oh, man, 
Mom and dad got some communication problems. Mom's got these issues. Dad can never do follow through. Like they, they begin to see things as they really are. You're no longer the superhero with the cape, okay? And when you as a parent can acknowledge some of those things in appropriate ways to your kids, that's a good thing. If you're a coach, if you're a leader, when you're at work, if you simply will say, you know what? I stink at follow through. Everyone else on the job, everyone else on your team is going to be, oh, thank God she knows. Like, it's going to be a tremendous relief because they're not going to have to do this intervention where they, you know, the, the short straw person has to come to you and go, like, we don't mean this as an insult, but you're just terrible at follow through and then, you know, kind of run away. Like, you don't want that. So just name it, name it, uh, some of these weaknesses, okay? Uh, I'm socially awkward. I have a tendency to focus or obsess on what's wrong or what didn't work. Yep, that's me. I own it, okay? And when you name these things in church ministry settings, in uh, work situations, it puts everybody at ease. Why? Because you're just naming the truth. You're naming reality, right? Okay? So acknowledge your weaknesses to those under you in ways that are appropriately. And last, be appropriately transparent. Here's, here's what I mean by that. It would be horribly inappropriate for me to stand up today and in front of all y'all go, every grievance I have in my marriage, inappropriate, <laughs> right? Um, I might say on a Sunday morning something like, man, Jenny and I had, had a lot of bumps this week. But then with a trusted friend or in my small group, that's a place where I might enumerate and I might say, that woman promised that she would clean the kitchen and she was supposed to do it the last five times. I want her to actually do what she said. She stinks. And then people in my small group would be like, mm, you might be overreacting on this one just a little, right? So again, be appropriately transparent. Here's the thing. We humans started masking up way back in the garden. When we ate from the tree that we weren't supposed to touch, we hid from God, we hid from each other, and we hid from ourselves. And we've become very good at hiding from God, hiding from each other, and hiding from ourselves. Um, really good at presenting a false self and really good at keeping up appearances. But here's the thing. We follow a man who died a criminal's death on a cross and who rose from the dead three days later who said the truth will set you free, right? The truth will set you free, okay? And one way that we experience that kind of freedom is resisting the urge to fake it all the time. Resisting the urge to fake it, to keep up appearances, and to do those kind of things so that we might be accepted. So I, I want to end by circling back and reminding you of some things that Brian mapped out for you that are biblical and true. They're right out of the Apostle Paul. They're right out of the teaching and ministry of Jesus. You matter. You matter. You are loved. You are enough. Okay? So please stop faking it all the time. Okay? I'm going to ask our musicians to make their way, and we're going to have an opportunity to sing. And for some of you, this might be a good opportunity to do the whole, okay, God, I probably need to take a step and be transparent in a way that's appropriate with this person, okay? I don't know. But I'm going to pray for us, and I invite you to pray with me. Whew. Following Jesus 
is wonderful and beautiful and amazing and sometimes hard. So, Father, we ask for your help. We ask for the conviction of the Holy Spirit. We ask that there might be alignment between who we are in private when no one's looking, the who we are on the out inside, that that would line up more often than not with who we are on the outside. For some of us, we wrestle so much with other people's approval and what they think of us, and it's such a hard struggle because we just we want people to like us. And so help us to gain freedom in this area so that the one and only person we want to say well done is you, Father. Okay? So we ask for your help, we ask for your conviction, and we ask that we might be a community that is a safe place for people who come in to, to, to just be themselves and be loved and accepted where they are. And we know that you'll work and you'll challenge and convict and, and all of the things that you do. We ask that we would be a community for each other uh, and that in ways that are appropriate in the days ahead, that we would lean on each other, support one another, encourage one another. It's been a rough go the last couple of years with this COVID stuff, Lord. Help, help, help. We pray these things in Jesus' name, amen.